I really didn't plan my life. It just happened. happened. And it was great. So within the non-planning, something kept me going toward the light, mm. toward more learning. And it was great. Welcome to another episode of Connected to the Podcast. I am so excited about this episode because in celebration of Women's History Month, we connect with a great and vivacious woman, attorney Laurie Butler, who lived in California for about 45 years and is now home in Indiana. She's a powerhouse. Don't believe me? Ask OJ Simpson. (laughs) Connectors, sit back. Relax. Do what you do, whatever you do while listening to a podcast. And let's get connected. We are connected. I didn't really do it in a traditional way. Because I wasn't really brought up in a real traditional environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up with four brothers, and my grandfather lived with us, and my dad. So that's six men and me. Wow. And they were all either great scholars, Mm -hmm. one was a Rhodes Scholar, or great athletes, Mm -hmm. or both. Greatness. Yeah, and they all were very strong, good-looking active, loud, you know, and so um, in order to grow and exist and feel comfortable, I had to carve out my own little part of this uh, family, Mm -hmm. and it was mom. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, and she was dying to have a daughter, so she made all my clothes. She made me ball gowns and spoiled, spoiled, rotten. <laughs> but she wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I never, I never said I have to have these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoyed them. Sure. But you know, and I guess it was just you sense where to go to get your needs met or to find. Uh, somebody who's going to be your protector Mm -hmm. and someone who's going to be kind to you and love you. My father was very distant. Mm -hmm. He had grown up on a dairy farm in Maine. He was an only child. Mm -hmm. His mother died when he was in graduate school. And so it was an isolated type of childhood. But he was very intelligent, very gregarious, very... He was at Purdue University. He was an extension agronomist. Okay. And um, so I went where? Toward the light, toward the warmth, mm-hmm. toward the good. Mm-hmm. And just kept going. Because <laughs> it worked. And you're still going. <laughs> I'm still going in that direction. Connectors, welcome to another episode of Connected to the Podcast. I am so excited to be connecting with, again, Lori Butler, an attorney, CEO, business person of the Butler Law Firm. And as she's been saying herself, she is a woman of greatness. So thank you for uh, inviting me to do this podcast. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for having me and Connectors, her home. It is 
I would say interesting, marvelously <laughs> interesting, eclectic. I'm excited to just know more about you. So let's just jump into it. You you talked a lot about your family. Um, any other attorneys in your family? Two of my brothers are attorneys. Okay. Um, so two brothers are attorneys. So that leaves four other brothers? Two other brothers. Okay. Two other brothers. Wait, but you said you grew up with six guys? Four brothers, my grandfather, and my dad. Okay. I was, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so two brothers, and what type of law do they practice? Um, they're both retired. One practiced in Indianapolis for a large law firm, um, doing probably some civil business stuff. And the other worked um, for the primary part of his career at Monsanto. And he worked with um, Clarence Thomas, who was oh, on the U.S. Wow. Supreme Court. Yeah. They were both in the litigation department at Monsanto. Mm-hmm. And um, they socialized. They were friends. Uh, he was married to uh, my former sister-in-law, a Filipino woman. Mm-hmm. And they had one son. And Clarence was married to his first wife. And they had a son. And so their two boys played together. And so that's what he did, and then um, he tired of the the Monsanto thing because Monsanto went through um, kind of a split up okay. of the company into different uh, parts, and so the lawyers were treated differently, and so he got jobs elsewhere and moved on. I see. But, um, I just thought that's that's amazing mm-hmm. in light of all of the Anita Hill hearings, right? And what he told me had really happened and who mm-hmm. was lying and who wasn't. And I always found that fascinating. But, you know, I, I don't know whether that should go out on a podcast. Uh, I was going to ask, can you share any of that? And if you can't, that's OK. I'd rather not. OK. I um, that. It's a family discussion mm-hmm. that he probably never intended to go out yeah. beyond. That's all right. Because it's all about you anyway. So prior conversations, you said you were 22 years old when you left Lafayette, Indiana. So before you left, let's just talk about your life. No, actually I was 21. 21. Wow. I got married. just out of high school. And I'm sorry, just out of, just out of high school. I graduated college. college, came back to Lafayette, got married to this Purdue engineer who I'd met the prior summer. Mm Mm-hmm. And the two of us went off to Detroit. He had a job with Ford. I was going to get my student teach, uh, my teaching credential, mm-hmm. and we were going to take over the world. Yeah. And I don't think that you've stopped trying to take over the world. No, I, I think it's always better to run as much of it, you know, your way is not. Yeah. It's easier. <laughs> it's more fun. You know, you're not waiting for people. That's so true. And... Um, so I got to uh, California, and um, I tried to obtain a teaching position because I thought having the credential issued out of Eastern Michigan University, which is where I student taught through, and um, that I could uh, get a job. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Um, they said, no, you need to go another year under California rules. So I said, I don't go to school anymore. I'm tired mm-hmm. of school. So, because at this time you had already gone through law school. No, 
Oh, well, I was 22 years old in Los Angeles. That is, you said that. And so I looked around and I met a guy who worked in TV and he worked for Ralph Edwards Productions, the mm-hmm. prices or the, what was Ralph Edwards Productions? Um, some, he had some series, game shows. I'm okay. not familiar. I, so. I can't remember them either, but I became a professional game show contestant. Really? I did um, run-throughs, which is like an abbreviated um, pilot. Mm-hmm. I did a pilot for a game show. I was on game show Truth or Consequences, um, some others, one called Spin Off and One Stuff. And, and it was just fun. It was how just, was that? It like, was just crazy and fun. How does one get into game show acting? Because I didn't know that that was a real job. I just heard, I think, um, I don't know his name, but he's on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and he was a game show actor. I did not know that that was like a real thing. And you are a living person here I can touch saying that you were a game show actress. Well, only in the preparatory Portions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they had actors and actresses other than the hosts on the actual game shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but like LA is a town where when you meet somebody, they open doors mm-hmm. to pursue things. Mm-hmm. And I was young. I mean, I was living in an apartment right that had just been built mm-hmm. right near UCLA, their tennis courts. You know, I, I was discovering life. And so this came along, mm-hmm. and I did that for a while, and then I was like, God, I really should get a real job. And so I went to work. If you don't mind me asking, how much did the game shows pay? I don't even remember. I didn't Because how are you paying rent? I was married. Okay. And my husband worked from, for- Your guy from Detroit. No, he was actually from New York City. Uh, Lori, how many, okay, my, my brain is like all over the place now, but you did say, no, no, it's my fault. I mean, it's so adventurous. I'm jealous. So (laughs) help me keep up. He, um, had been born in Paris, France in 1942 during world war two. And he was Jewish. Okay. So his parents hid him out in the country. So the Nazis wouldn't sent him to the camps, mm-hmm. and they went into the underground and fought the Nazis because his father spoke perfect German. Wow. Then when, obviously, World War II was over, they stayed a bit longer because they had become French citizens, mm-hmm. and he had a brother. But when he was um, nine years old, they came to America. Okay. And he learned English from watching cartoons. Mm-hmm. But he was very smart. He became an engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to City College and then Brooklyn Tech and uh, moved to Purdue to do his graduate work. He was getting a PhD. And I meet him at the swimming pool. Aww. And I'd just come back from a year in Strasbourg, France, where I'd done a junior year abroad. Oh, my. And I had the good fortune to travel all over Europe and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on U-Rail passes and rich friends who had homes in Beirut Mm -hmm. and boyfriends that I met in Beirut that I went and met in Istanbul and on and on and on. 
because at that time, this was 1969, 70, it was the height of the Vietnam War. And also uh, a student movement against the war. Mm -hmm. I was conflicted. I had two brothers who fought in Vietnam. So what am I getting? The the attorneys or the other one was the attorney. The other one became a. um, He worked for Dow Chemical for many years in Michigan. Um, But you know they're my brothers. You know, Mm -hmm. so I didn't think the war was a good thing. I didn't really know as much as I should have known about it at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, I wasn't going to let it stop me from having fun over in Europe. And <laughs> so I had a great time. Yeah. But, you know, that's... And, make, and perfected my French. I can speak per, almost perfect French. Oh. Uh, um, comment vas-tu? Très bien. Et toi? Uh, uh, that's all I know. <laughs> c'est bien, alors. Bien. Bien, c'est très bien. Oh, that is a language that I hope to learn. I've started Duolingo like so many times, but I'm not. That's a good app. I'm I'm not persistent enough or consistent with. Get a French boyfriend. Ooh, my husband would You'll learn it very well then. (laughs) (laughs) Because you, you have to. Yeah. Wow. I'm even more excited about just connecting with you because you just said like you were conflicted, like you didn't know a lot about the war or like Vietnam. And it's something that we can feel guilty about not knowing. I didn't feel guilty. I've never really felt guilty. Mm. I think it's a wasted, but it's a waste of energy. It's mm. like very... Um, selfish. Mm-hmm. If you if you're feeling guilty, that's because you haven't gone and done something mm-hmm. to dissipate that guilt mm-hmm. by fixing whatever is making you yeah. feel guilty. So I never spent a lot of time feeling guilty. Hmm. The more you know, and even going out and being in the Middle East and. The European countries, you learn so much. I'm pretty sure people who don't understand Asian culture would not understand why you have this beautiful... Screen. Okay. It looks almost like a, um, I guess... a room divider? That's another Yeah, and that's what they were it. used for. This is ah, actually painted okay. by a very close friend of mine, Paul Whitehead, who is a an artist living in Ventura, California now, but mm-hmm. we were great friends in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He did the first three album covers for the group Genesis. Whoa. And um, thereafter, he did like about 150, I think he did an album cover for Earth, Wind, and Fire. Nice. Um, very talented guy. And um, so I was in, into... Hokusai, who is the Japanese um, painter from many, many years ago. I can't remember what period, but a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, paint me a Hokusai. And most of the paintings that I have by Paul, paint me a Van Gogh, paint me a Turner, paint me this, paint Mm -hmm. me our bike ride. Because we used to do a bike ride. And, and he would. It was an amazing creative relationship mm-hmm. that 
and he is um, bisexual. He presents as a woman and as a man. Mm-hmm. He paints as a man, and he also paints as a woman. Wow. He's wonderful. Wow. His artwork is beautiful. You said you have other pieces here? Oh, yes. All throughout. up and down my, my halls. It, it's like you need to wrap yourself in the creations of the people you love. Yeah. It gives you energy constantly. I agree. Wow. So tell me more about moving from Lafayette to California. Um, when I first got there, it was hard mm-hmm. because I missed the seasons. Mm-hmm. The seasons have a way of helping you to get ready for different things that you do during the year. Okay, so there's, you have a cold period where you spend more time inside or mm-hmm. you do inside activities more. But in California, there's no, it's never cold. I mean, winter's 50. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so it was a real struggle for me to get my bearings on the flow of the year mm-hmm. because it was always hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the coldest it might ever get would be mid forties, but it was 50 or up. Yeah. And it was, a, it's a mild, dry climate, which is the most beautiful climate in the world. It's like Beirut. It's like a lot of places in the middle East that are on water. And, um, so it took me a while to get over that. Mm-hmm. Plus I was lonely. I missed my friends, but that didn't take long to get over that. Of course not. Because, I mean, when you're young and you're married and, mm-hmm. you know, you're just, anything's possible. Yeah. And Los Angeles in 1972 was very different. People could afford housing. Rents weren't ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, the traffic wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. It was just this wonderful place of opportunity and creative people. Mm-hmm. And I met doctors and lawyers and people in the entertainment industry, yeah. and people starting huge businesses um, that became very successful, but they started out. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a very exciting time. I was very fortunate to be there. Hmm. So what about becoming an attorney in oh, LA? Um, I became. I went to UCLA and got a paralegal certificate because I was growing tired of. Um, jobs that really didn't require a college education. Interestingly, I worked for a large bank in Beverly Hills called Great Western Savings. It's no longer around. And I was a teller, and I went to the manager and said, I'd like to rise in the organization and learn more. And um, so I'm wondering if you have an executive training program. I have a college degree. I speak French. And he said, well, thank you for coming to me, but we don't promote women. Hmm. I said, oh. Wow. No, but this is 1973 or 1974, okay? Wow. And I'm like, oh, that's, okay, all right, well, whatever. So I laughed and I went to get some, do something someplace where I could promote myself. Mm-hmm. So wow. I became a paralegal, mm-hmm. and I worked for attorneys in the Mid-Wilshire District, two Jewish guys, they were great, and... Um, then I met some other guys who encouraged me to go to law school. So I, in 1975, I started law school. How was that experience? It was great. It was so much fun. I loved it. Mm-hmm. The people I met, the craziness, the, the, the tragedies. I mean, 
the, the woman who was number one in my law school class, beautiful woman, very kind. Um, she, like me, the marriage, my marriage was starting to kind of not go so well because I just, you know, just got out of Kansas, you know, and I don't advocate leaving your spouse, mm-hmm. but, you know, it was L.A., and there were so many opportunities, and, it, you know, we were growing apart. Mm-hmm. And this woman, same thing. She was married to a doctor. But I had never confronted crime before, and she was raped in her apartment at Nice Knife Point mm. twice during wow. the time that she was in law school. And um, beautiful woman, just a wonderful woman, and it so adversely affected her. That's when I understood crime. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think I'd understood it before that. Crime against women. Mm-hmm. And that you, it's everywhere. You can't protect yourself against it all the time. So I'm going to be a lawyer. So that's going to, I think, help me in whatever discipline in the law I go into to be better prepared to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things I got out of law school, plus meeting a lot of really cool people. Yeah, I'd agree. And so you have this law firm, the Butler Law Firm, and this is from your website, by the way, an L.A. lawyer with expertise in resolving business conflicts or disputes through litigation, arbitration, or mediation. Right. So how did you get into that practice? I got into that practice because um, what was my first job out of law school? God, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think I worked for my ex, my ex husband's firm. Okay. Um, there might have been another firm before that, but it's hard to remember. But I know I worked for him mm-hmm. because he became one of the most prominent lawyers in Los Angeles and still is in one of the biggest name firms there. Huh. And he's a, he's a brilliant guy, mm-hmm. and he's a good guy. Um, but anyways, I worked there, and then I was trying a case for a very famous science fiction writer named Harlan Ellison. Okay. I was representing him against ABC um, and some producers and whatever. And... Um, are they? We claimed that they'd ripped off a screenplay he wrote, mm-hmm. um, which was called Brillo, and they did. They made a TV show out of it many years ago. It only ran for a season or two, starring Ernest Borgnine. Okay. And um, this was one of the most exciting cases because our expert witnesses were the most preeminent science fiction writers in the world. Um, ben Bova, uh, Frank Herbert, who wrote Dune. Um, guy, this one guy, David Gerald, who wrote all these episodes on um, the Twilight Zone, or or one one of those kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 then the 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 biggest one, Isaac Asimov, who wrote mm-hmm. Caves of Steel. This you this was like the Huge. starting lineup of any World Series team, mm-hmm. the best there was. Sounds like it. <laughs> and the defense was that my client had ripped off um, Isaac Asimov's Caves of Steel. Uh-huh. And when we put Isaac Asimov on the stand, he goes, you know, Harlan Ellison isn't good enough to wow. rip me off. I'm the best. Wow. So we won, 
like $250,000 or more, which was the biggest copyright infringement um, award at a federal court ever in that in the state of California. Oh, wow. But certain presidents. Yeah, but but I was just there, mm-hmm. just doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I was pregnant at the time. And I remember sitting with Harlan during the trial. And you know, when you are pregnant, your breasts become larger. Mm-hmm. And and mine did. He goes, God Wow, how come you have such big boobs? Uh, uh. I said, I'm pregnant, Harlan. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like, while you're fighting a case for him, he's worried about (laughs) your boobs. (laughs) It was crazy. I mean, that was L.A. Can we get back to the case? Wow. And the the attorney on the other side later became a federal judge. Mm -hmm. But I always thought, you know, we beat you. I, yeah, I would be too. Because the the partner that I was working with on that case mm-hmm. had been a very had been a roommate of Billie Jean King's husband in law school. You remember Billie Jean King, the the female tennis player? No, I'm not familiar. Okay, well she's she was very famous. Okay, and won Wimbledon and everything. She so was like the biggest Serena. in America for years. And but there was a trial where, um, and I wasn't involved, but he was where Billie Jean King was sued by a woman who claimed they were lovers. Mm-hmm. And she fell out of a window at Billie Jean King's house or something, was severely injured. Mm-hmm. And um, my the attorney on the Harlan Ellison case represented uh, Billie Jean King and won. So I, I point these out only because this was the, 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 the climate, the, the, the excitement of law then in the 70s mm-hmm. and then the 80s. I mean, I was involved in the O.J. Simpson case. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. So you represented Fred Goldman. Yes. Ron Goldman, who... Ron Goldman was killed. Fred was his father. Yes. And this was in 1994 was the death. Yeah. So this would have been 95 uh, because we represented them in the civil suit. Mm-hmm. We were later replaced by the attorney who took it to verdict. Okay. They wanted a, a larger law firm and my partner and I were a smaller law firm. We were good. We yeah. had good clients and we did good work. Because what did I say? Um, they wanted to settle at 30000 and the jury made a no. verdict of... It or was, maybe this was some... I, no, I it, did was like, do... it was like $30 million. It was a lot. I okay. can't remember how much it was. But it's never been satisfied because uh, it's my understanding that Mr. Simpson receives $25,000 a month from the NFL as a pension. And pension money, and he lives in Florida, and pension monies cannot be reached um, by creditors. Yes. So he was incarcerated in in Nevada Mm -hmm. for many, many years, and each month... 25000 was going into his account. So he came out of prison a very rich man. Yes. But none of the victims of the murders or the, yeah, the murders. I did read that, um, that the family now owns the rights to the names. And so, like, making movies and um, 
I think it was like about everything that happened. It was OJ's. If I would have committed it, this is how it would happen. Right. And then the family got all the publishing rights and the royalties from the movies that's being created. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they lost children. They lost their, their children. Yes. That horribly. was so sad. I mean, it was a butchering. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of what happened. And I'm not going into it. Mm-hmm. But we obviously um, knew a lot of the, the attorneys representing... Um, the this the county of Los Angeles in the murder uh, mm. and the stuff that we heard from them was horrendous. So let me ask you this, um, Marsha Clark. I think that's she was the deputy prosecutor, right, or the DA, right. And Did, then um, who was the the African American attorney? Um, I can't remember his name, but. But they, actually there was, before them, mm-hmm. there was a very senior attorney in the DA's office. His name was Hakama or something like that. But he had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So Marsha and um, the other guy um, were kind of the second string mm-hmm. up against the dream team. Yes. Which included one of my law school professors, um, and the creme de la creme de la creme. I mean, the the county of Los Angeles uh, did not have a chance. See, and that's why I, because so I watched the. I can't remember the name of the TV show now, but it's like the with um, Cuba Gooding Jr. Jr. Oh yeah, the People versus Simpson. Yes, and she says yes. The justice system failed Nicole because, like, there had been numerous calls about domestic violence, and so I was just started like I started thinking. Yes, this is a guy who's this NFL player, you know, actor. The, he loved by everybody. He was the hero of the era. Mm-hmm. He was handsome. Mm-hmm. He was an. He was everything, but he wasn't like a racial. He he wasn't carrying the man the mantle to help his race, mm-hmm. other African Americans. He was still making money in a white man's world. Mm -hmm. And so I ask if that would have happened, if all of that, including like the domestic violence calls, if 1994 would have happened now during this Me Too era. He would have been convicted. Because he lived in Brentwood. Mm -hmm. Okay. You could probably count the number of African-Americans on one hand Mm -hmm. lived in those neighborhoods. Those were akin to Beverly Hills. Um, Only the wealthiest entertainers. It was still a racially segregated city Mm -hmm. in uh, the 70s and 80s, Um, and even the 90s. Um, I think after uh, everything started to get really expensive... Nobody could afford anything. So everybody moved everywhere to find a corner to get in on the American dream in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But it was a very segregated place. And uh, nobody seemed to be doing much about it. Mm -hmm. And so you were saying that you have this dream team or the, the... 
The state, yeah. the city had, no, you know, the stream um, team. Johnny Cochran yes. put together um, uh, F. Lee Bailey, um, a, a number of really uh, my one of my my criminal procedure professor. I can't remember all their names, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, the guy who was the expert in in DNA, mm-hmm. Dr. Lee. And when they pulled the glove thing, mm-hmm. the they baited uh, Marsha Clark and Chris Darden, that was his name, mm-hmm. to make them think it was their idea mm-hmm. to get um, OJ to try the glove on. Because when they said, you know, when they got, when the prosecution got the agreement to let them do that. Mm-hmm. They said, well, you have to put a rubber uh, glove underneath it so that there will be no way that the DNA can pass through to the glove. Right. And so Clark and Darn, okay, okay. But the problem was that glove had been sitting around covered with blood for a year, and it was, it was stiff. Mm-hmm. And then you have this rubber under glove and he puts on that glove and it, it's like he can't get it on and so Cochran goes if the glove don't fit you, you must, must have quit. quit yeah and that's all anybody thought about from that point yes. on and that's it was brilliant mm-hmm. Cochran was brilliant he made the case about race mm-hmm. not about a murder mm-hmm. and he, he did a good job for his client mm-hmm. It's just it was it was Hollywood. <laughs> it's just crazy there. So um, that was in the criminal case, and so then you represented in the civil case, right? So did they did he still have the same attorneys for his civil case? No, he got an insurance defense attorney mm-hmm. because he had no money. Paid it all to the criminal lawyers. Mm-hmm. Cost a lot of money to get that kind of representation. Mm-hmm. And but if your life is at stake, you right. you spend it, and so he had a homeowner's policy, and his defense in the civil wrongful death case was paid for by the insurance company. Uh huh. But it was also held in Santa Monica Court. The criminal trial was held in downtown L.A. Because so, what's the difference? Because I'm not familiar. Okay. The west side of Los Angeles, which is Santa Monica, is where all the rich people live. You got Beverly Hills, you got Brentwood, you've got uh, Santa Monica. I mean, it's expensive going up toward Malibu. Okay. And it's all white. Mm-hmm. And downtown, you have everybody Asians, Armenians, African Americans, uh, Middle East. It's a, me- it's a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we'd had an earthquake in 1994. And so what happened was um, the city didn't want another riot, which had happened when these white cops had been found innocent Mm -hmm. of um, something to do with a Rodney King. So they said, you guys, you know, the earth, so they, they cooked up this story the city fathers and um, the lawyers that um, the the Santa Monica courthouse had sustained earthquake damage and they could not guarantee O.J. Simpson's safety or the safety of those participating in the trial, so we had to move it downtown. Uh 
Well, downtown, these are OJ's people. Uh-huh. I mean, these are people who are ethnic. Mm-hmm. And so his ethnicity, which was obvious because he was African-American, <laughs> went right, you know, and they had, the jury was impaneled for like nine months. Wow. And the judge, Judge Ito, um, basically his wife, Detective Margaret York, was the highest ranking LAPD woman, mm-hmm. and she hated Mark Furman. And who is Mark Furman? Mark Furman is the detective who uh, I represented. I represented um, in connection with a lawsuit against the tabloids for okay. planting the bloody glove at yeah. the Simpson estate. And so you had to fill out questionnaires before you could get the approval for everyone to be part of the trial, including the judge. Well, the judge's wife said she had no problem. She had nothing to do with Furman. She was a liar. Uh-huh. She did. She hated Furman. She claimed he'd started this anti-woman group called Men Against Women Maw. What? Yes. And um, so they took the decision as to whether they would keep Judge Ito away from him, mm-hmm. gave it to another judge. This occurred in the trial later on. There was like... And the judges are looking at the situation. They said, oh my God, we have to start with a new jury. And there's an acquittal or there's a, there's a conviction. I mean, it's, it'll, it'll blow up L.A. Mm-hmm. There'll be riots. We've already had riots. We can't have more riots. Right. So I said, just keep it with Edo. Don't worry about the wife. Okay, well, that might have something to do with the way his he was treated. If he, the head, the most, the senior most female LAPD officer hated his guts. Yeah. But that was LA. That was this crazy wow. trial. And so, you know, what are you going to do? It's just it's history wow. now. So, what experience or what lesson did you gain from all of that? Live life to the to the hilt. Mm-hmm. Never miss an opportunity mm-hmm. to get experience, to interact with bright people, whether you like them or dislike them, mm-hmm. whether you agree with them or disagree with them. They're out there. They're doing this law that you love. They're, they're the people that have the balls and the guts to walk into the courtrooms and fight and fire, you know, rhetoric forth. And I just, I just couldn't get enough mm-hmm. of wanting to, to be a part of every single case and meet every kind of great lawyer and interact in, in social settings and court settings and everything. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it costs me. I mean, I, I lied, three divorces. Mm. But you know what? It was fun. Mm-hmm. Wow. Still is. Mm-hmm. So when you're not being this passionate attorney in the courtroom, how do you unwind? How do you take a breath? Um, I'm an avid bicycle rider. Okay. And... Anytime the temperature gets to 40, I go to Prophetstown and I ride for about an hour. Say, so, well, now it's like 16. A little <laughs> so, too cold. Yeah. I got to wait till it gets to 40. And then I ride in the summer. I also mm-hmm. swim. Okay. Um, 
I like to walk. It's beautiful, the trails, right? Oh, yes. And most of the people at Prophetstown, because the trails go through the, hall, the tall grasses, mm-hmm. and they ultimately end up at the, a, a river. I, I don't know if it's the Wabash or what river it is. It could be a creek. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful there. And I just like to sit and look at everything. And sometimes there's swans Aww. in this water area on the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the fall and the spring and the summer, the... Um, the nature, the plants are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's, it's like uh, the most uh, wonderful way to unwind. And I just sometimes I play my music, sometimes I just ride. And it's just, I have to do, you, you got to do exercise. You got to make mm-hmm. your body and your mind work equivalently, mm-hmm. or I think you're missing out. I agree. And especially when the trails are, like, right here along the river. It takes me 15 minutes to get there. Yeah. I mean, everything's so close. It's wonderful. So this part, this section, is called Who in the World? Where in the World? How in the World? Okay, so you've been all over the world, experienced so many cultures, so many foods, I'm sure. I love food, so hopefully you got some good food. from. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And this is all about bringing in the people who inspired you into your world and then you giving back to those people. Absolutely. I, I, I never forget... The people that, you know, opened doors for me. Of course. Kind of smoothed the way. Of course. uh, Were there when I was agonizing over which way to go with a case. Um, If uh, I lost a witness or something bad happened in court, as well as in my personal life. Mm -hmm. I have a daughter and... um, you know, I felt like I was a good mom to her, mm-hmm. and she's successful and doing well. But mm-hmm. balancing a high-profile litigation career with a child is not always easy. I'm sure. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's... Uh, you have to. I had a wonderful nanny mm-hmm. who took care of her, the most wonderful woman who ever lived. She was a godsend. And I think that was really how I could do it mm-hmm. because she took my place in a good way, but didn't replace me. Mm-hmm. And so there were so many people along the way who, were, who, who helped me mm-hmm. husbands, uh, employers, um, colleagues, friends. Uh, you know what? What you what we all need mm-hmm. to further our lives to the level that we are aspiring to. Yeah, and it's always nice when, like your nanny, they come into your life like little gems, and it's like, well, how did you come in? And they come at just the right time. Just the right time. And that's why, even with like these interviews, I never rush them. Like I met you how many months ago? I don't know. It was in the summer, wasn't it? It was sometime. With Aaron and Nani. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, when the time is right, we will connect. We will be able to share and we won't have any restraints. Yeah. 
And that's always, to me, those are the best relationships that I've ever had that just came free flowing Mm -hmm. and there was no type of pressure, no expectations on the relationships. They just happened. Absolutely. And I don't know, I, I, maybe I've had a charmed life, but I, growing up having all these brothers, Mm -hmm. I watched them and I saw how they moved through their lives because they all were strong and handsome and smart and some were funny. Some had different skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think watching and being part of this male energy, but with female energy from my mother mm-hmm. that couldn't have been more loving, more creative, more, um, uh, just, you know, what is the word when somebody just takes care of you. Um, I was very lucky. That launched me Mm -hmm. because nobody seemed to ever be afraid of anything. Mm -hmm. So I never was. Ooh. And that's so important to be taught not to fear because a lot of times fear is what's holding us back. And I remember one of my pastors saying, Fear is just being afraid of what you hear. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that that thing is there. It's that it's the thinking about it. And thinking is not something, it's abstract. It's not there. That's a very good example, what mm -hmm. you just said. I've not heard it said that way before. But I think that's a very good way to categorize fear and what it, it destroys so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. I just never was really too much afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. I never, I never coveted wealth mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. It came to me. I was very fortunate. Yes. I lived a life of ease for many years, mm. but I didn't try to get it. Yes. And, but it came as a result of my decisions to live a certain way, meet certain mm-hmm. people, interact in a certain group. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would say, even if you are afraid, still do it. Do it afraid. Do it. afraid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what do you got to lose? An experience. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of being called out. You're not good enough. Mm-hmm. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. Mm-hmm. You're not something. But I just never listened to that. Mm-hmm. Because why? Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't see what was valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Something that I just realized, I don't know why it didn't click when you said it earlier, but I am also... The only girl amongst brothers. I have two older stepbrothers and two, they're, I guess they're close, they're about nine years under me, and then a 10 year old brother. So, but looking at them, Look watching at that. them, I just see the, I see them strong. And it makes me strong, even when I see them afraid of whatever obstacle they're going through. It makes me become strong for them, knowing that they are strong in their yeah. being. It's male energy, and sometimes mm-hmm. we lose sight of just the um, the endocrine, endocrine, or mm-hmm. the basic differences between a male and a female. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I think the Me Too movement um, is important. 
because, I mean, there was a lot of crap going on. And I don't want to go into the, the experiences, the harassment um, that I had mm-hmm. uh, because it's it doesn't really help this conversation. But my attitude was when I was sexually um, dealt with in an improper way, my attitude was, whoa, don't want to do that again. I don't want that to happen to me again. And so I just, just kind of pushed it aside and moved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was strong enough to do that had um, uh, I been... Uh, not who I was, not from the family I was, I don't think I could have done it. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, we, we got to recognize that good or bad, male energy is very different from female mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. And that the triggers for attraction or manipulation or assault, whatever you want to call an unwanted attention mm-hmm. from a man is going to, start with his hormonal makeup mm-hmm. and uh you know the, the the pragmatism part of it all is okay men and women need to be together to produce the, the race mm-hmm. but apart from that they also have to respect one another and they have to stay in um the right uh mental and physical state so that no one is uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. no one gets hurt Mm -hmm. in the workplace, in the professions, in whatever. And we know that now, but we didn't know that back when I was coming up. Just from you saying, like, we don't promote women, what is that saying? If you don't see me, a woman, good enough to promote... Women were... uh, you know, trophies. Mm-hmm. Women were what you, you, women worked as uh, assistants in doctor's office. They worked as secretaries in law offices. They worked in uh, large comp- companies as secretaries or assistants or gophers or whatever. They got the work done, the grunt work. Mm-hmm. The, and yet they built a lot of these industries, the, mm-hmm. the entertainment industry, the aerospace industry, the real estate. In, there's so many industries in California that were in a nascent stage when I was there that women, the schools. Yes. Um, but I didn't go that route. I went into a male profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, less than a third of my class was women. And honestly, that that was one of my inspirations that kept me inspired was to be able to sit at the table with white men and say, no, I'm a voice for those who have a voice, because I believe everyone has a voice. Good. I'm it's, glad to hear that. It's just diminished. For it's whatever. diminished or it's 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 moved aside mm-hmm. And um, I take any case now that seems to have merit, whether people can afford to pay me or not, mm-hmm. um, because I want to do that. I want to practice law, not amass money. I mean, I, I'm okay. I don't really need to earn a lot of money because I don't live that expensively. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much better. Mm-hmm. 
because you get back to human versus human instead of large corporation wanting to harm another large corporation through the creative and pounding use of expensive litigators Mm -hmm. and other lawyers to not seek justice, but to just shut the other side down because of the expense of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what most litigation is now at uh, the high corporate level. Mm -hmm. It's not justice. Yeah. But it's good to know there are attorneys still out there. And I'm happy to know you have those people like your brothers or even your, when she was a baby, your baby's nanny, you know, to keep you inspired to, to be the person you are today. I, I had a lot of people that believed in me mm-hmm. and befriended me and helped me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to honor those people. Yeah, for sure. Always. And that's why, like, I think it's so important to have this little segment, who in the world, where in the world, and how in the world. Um, So you said those people, the who in the world. So where in the world will you or would you take or even go to in the world these people who have inspired you? And I say go to, like maybe someone in Beirut has inspired you to become the person you are today. So where in the world would you travel to? And those people who inspired you, of course they would go with you. Um, well, it was a long time ago that I was in some of those places. Um, but they were people who allowed me to stay in their homes. It was a classmate of mine in France when I was doing a junior year abroad. Mm-hmm. And um, they lived in a penthouse apartment overlooking the ocean in Beirut. They were very wealthy. Mm-hmm. He ran a bank, American bank there. And I met students from the American University of Beirut. Okay. And um, one of the guys I met was from Kenya, and he was um, Pakistani. And uh, he and I just hit it off. Mm -hmm. And I spent a week with him in Istanbul a few months later and um, lost touch with him. Actually, um, he asked me to marry him. Oh, wow. But he sent me an impala skin, the animal an impala. Yeah. And he'd written on the back of the skin all these African proverbs, including marry me, come to Africa. Wow. And the bullet that was used, he shot this impala. Mm -hmm. And I thought, "Mm." 20 years old, I don't know if I want to go to <laughs> Africa. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I lost touch with him mm. from a long time, from uh, 1970, 71 or so, mm-hmm. until about four or five years ago. Wow. How was that? He called me out of the blue. All those years, he had been working for the United States State Department. Mm-hmm because he speaks many, many languages. And he'd worked in the Middle East, mm-hmm. um, and he was married, and he had, he, lived, he had a home in Florida, and he was going to retire. And I went, oh, my God. And he'd had a wonderful life. Wow. And I'd had a wonderful life, so we kind of shared 
Um, but that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook. Well, of course. That's why I can't get rid of my Facebook account. No, I mean, it's really a conduit to so many things you don't mm-hmm. even realize. So him, um, I met there. He was, he was a very interesting person, but I was out of touch with him for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I would say um, the people I met in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and the friends I made there, some of whom I still have, um, they were sisters, if you will. Um, one of them was uh, became an MD PhD at UC San Diego Medical Center, and doing a lot of cancer and other types of research. And I just visited her uh, last week when I was out trying a case in Los Angeles, and um, just other people that I met along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could just go back and sit and have coffee with them and say, can, can we go back to then? Mm. What was it like? How did you feel? How do you feel now? Was the journey good? Yeah. That would be cool. Aw. So how, after all of these years and experiences, how do you honor those people with your life? Um, by giving back, mm-hmm. by being a better person and therefore a better lawyer, mm-hmm. um, recognizing that I have been given great gifts mm-hmm. and I've had wonderful experience and mentors who were wonderful. For instance, I uh, was contacted by a Chinese couple to get their security deposit back from their landlord. Mm-hmm. And we're talking $400. And who would take that case? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, you know, I'll split it with you. I'll get it for you. And I did. Mm-hmm. And um, all sorts of things f- come out of lawsuits, good and bad. But they were so happy that I gave them this representation. I mean, it was like the same representation you'd pay $500 an hour for. Mm-hmm. That they've been telling all these Chinese students at Purdue to call me, and yeah. one's called me so far, and others may. Because when people are treated right, mm-hmm. and they're shown respect, and they're given the best of you, you know, the greatest skill that you could muster, mm-hmm. even for a little rent security case, the same you do on the OJ case or mm-hmm. suing, you know, and getting the biggest copyright in front. Mm-hmm. When you do excellence, um, that's how you honor the people you're working for and honor those who helped you get here. Yes. Yes. Because there's no shortcuts if you want to do things right. Even in the Bible and everything you do, work with all your heart. Absolutely. And your brain. And t- take that extra step. Treat those clients with, with dignity, with caring, with, I mean, give them the best kind of representation on intellectual, on adversarial, and on human terms. Mm-hmm. And you, the ripple effect out there in the world because people don't get treated like that, mm-hmm. will come back to you a hundredfold. Yes. Maybe not in money, 
but in other sorts of uh, thank yous. Definitely. And, you know, that's kind of what I want now is this kind of rich emotional capital instead of doubloons and yes. dollar bills. I, yes, I agree. I want that filling me up mm-hmm. because it makes me get up every day and do more and mm-hmm. feel better. I agree. The wealthiest man is not the man with the most money. No. Absolutely not, because I represented a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And many of them are very uh, unhappy and afraid that someone's going to steal their money. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't trust their families. They don't trust their business. There's, you know, you close in when all of a sudden you're the richest guy on the block mm-hmm. because you want to stay that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to watch the great wealthy people, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. these people who have created such wealth since mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s. And where will they end up? How will they make the world better? Yes. That's, I think, that's really when you get judged. I agree. And if, if the good Lord can see that you gave back, mm-hmm. not out of some selfish need for someone to pat you on the back, mm-hmm. then you have lived a good life. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. I, I to- like there's so many quotes that keep coming to mind as you're speaking from one of my favorite pastors, Bishop T.D. Jakes. He says, you will... What did he say? It's not being served, you will be blessed. It's in your serving, right. you will be blessed. And then also he says, like a lot of times people look at him like an opportunity rather than a person. What do you mean? They see him as this person who has his own production company, who's you know, a, 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 an author, best-selling author, And instead of looking at him as just a person, as sometimes, like you were saying, you would represent a $400 rent check the same way you would an O.J. Simpson case. Yes. Same with him. He says, you know, I'm still a person. Mm -hmm. I still have a heart. I still have feelings. And although I may have and do all of these things, I'm not an opportunity for you to just see me as this thing. Right. And I take all of that and including like the people who keep me inspired, who make me realize I have a purpose to reach out to those who may be less fortunate, mm-hmm. even to these federal workers. May the Lord watch oh out. Oh my for them. God, please somebody make sure that they don't get forgotten. You know? Because this could it, go on. It is our job as attorneys not to look at those people like the rich as opportunities and still remember the people in those $400 cases, in the federal workers' cases, because we still need to be a voice heard for them as well. And we also need to serve our craft. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are given a lot of uh, power as lawyers, mm-hmm. and we need to use it in a way where human interests are furthered. Mm-hmm. Our need to survive through earning a living, obviously, mm-hmm. that interest has to be met. Right. But when 
one interest overwhelms the other, meaning you might prostitute yourself Mm -hmm. to win a case, then that becomes a line. You cross that line, it's very difficult to get back. Mm -hmm. And I'm not pointing fingers, Mm -hmm. but I truly believe I've never crossed that line. And um, I don't think I could have honored the memory of my parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think I could have held my head up to my friends Mm -hmm. who expect that of me. Yeah. And so that's why I never did because I was brought up well and I surrounded myself with people that expect it better. And I mean, obviously it served you after 39 years, you closed shop Mm -hmm. came back and came back home. So how, how was that? Like, Closing shop after 39 years. That's a long time. It is, but it goes by so fast. Mm -hmm. It's like, it was like I was on a uh, a 747, you know, Mm -hmm. flying through that period of my life and um, just having a ball and never really looking back. And then one day it was like, whoa, I'm 60. How old am I when I left? (laughs) I turned, I was 67, mm-hmm. turned 68 like a month after I got here. Wow. And, and so I'm 69 now. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, wow. But it was hard to get the license here because I, um, I had to get it under a foreign license. And so it took from January till October. What does that mean, a foreign uh, license? Indiana has a program where if you have practiced law for a certain period of time in another state, mm-hmm. um, and you can show um, that you are, your character and fitness is such that there's no risk by the state giving you a license. Mm-hmm. And you can account for all of your jobs and any claims against you. Basically, bear your soul uh, as a lawyer to show what you've done and that you were successful and that if you had problems, here's what they are. Mm-hmm. And so I went through that process in Indiana, and they just gave me a license. I did not have to take the bar exam. Oh, nice. Oh, ooh. I pray I will never, ever, 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 ever have to take another bar exam in my life. It's, it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew that to prepare for it would be so hard mm-hmm. on top of trying to move here and adjust to life here and interact and make my friends again and, you know, find my place. So when I found out that was available, I decided, because I was going to just retire. Hmm. But then I found I could do that. I went, whoa, mm-hmm. let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, and you said that you just had a case in California so I'm assuming you kept your license Absolutely. in California. I still have clients in California who I've got to do work for and have been doing work for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm licensed in California and I'm licensed in Indiana. Okay. Um, so it's great. Yeah. That sounds nice. I would love to be able to travel, have two jobs, two states. That's, that's cool. Well, I don't really, um, what I'm doing for them is more in the corporate sector. Okay. I'm drafting a lot of agreements for them. It's, it's really not possible for me to go back there to try cases. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a matter uh, which was my own personal matter. Um, but uh, 
you know, helping people. I mean, I did this stuff long enough. I know how it works. Mm -hmm. I know how to deal with corporate agreements and draft them and represent people so their interests are safe when they're engaging in business. Mm -hmm. And it just, and I was representing these people before Mm -hmm. doing the crazy things that they want to do and they're still doing them and they want me. Mm -hmm. So I'm here doing it. And then doing all my other little crazy cases. Oh, so um, any cases here in Lafayette? I know you said your rent collection case. So how many clients have you gotten so far here? Okay, I have filed two lawsuits, one in Boone County and one in Carroll County on behalf of some clients. Um, I'm probably going to be filing an action here in Tippecanoe County. Um once the client and I conclude the discovery that we want to do and the gathering of information and, and testimony and, you know, just preparing the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I have th- three large cases, I would call them, that are ongoing. Okay. And others are smaller matters where people will call me and and ask me to help them, like with this security deposit. Um some things are, they don't materialize because I determine it's not in their interest to pay a lawyer. Mm-hmm. They can do it a better way. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell them that. Um, or I'll tell them, look, what you've asked me to look at is not exactly my expertise. I can give you a, kind of an overview, but you need to go back to the original lawyer who did this for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't charge them. You know, it's, it's part of the giving back. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you say that because a lot of times lawyers get a bad rap. Lawyers just want to take your money. Lawyers are this, lawyers are that. So it's kind of refreshing to hear out loud that we aren't really like that. It's just as bad. I'm only talking for myself that I think you'd be happier if you can afford to pay your rent, Mm -hmm. you know, buy the necessities of life. Um, if you can do that based upon some source of income, you know, and I've got a lot of retirement and all that stuff from working all those years, Mm -hmm. then go, go deal with all these people who need stuff, who need help with things. And, um, there's many, there's so many people that are just stuck and they're scared and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just, you know, Handout isn't a, is a really a hand up. Mm-hmm. You know, you just help them get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there aren't real big matters, but yeah. they're big to the people involved. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, we didn't really get into your practice as um, expertise in business conflicts or disputes. Do you see yourself doing anything like that here? Oh, yeah. Um, two of the cases that I'm dealing with, one is I can't go into because it was filed confidentially sure. under the applicable statutes here in Indiana. The other one, though, is a great case. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to save basketball for Indiana. Yeah? I have a client who has a six-year-old son okay. who wants to play basketball. And the mother was a great basketball player and has a, at sixth grade has a giant trophy. Mm-hmm. And the father is a producer of ESPN and NBC Sports all over the United cool. States, a director of like IndyCar and the like. 
and all they want to do is put up a basketball goal in their driveway in Zionsville in a subdivision where out of 241 or two houses, there's 41 basketball goals. But they won't give us one. And the board has uh, advised us that they now are, it's like they're like Karnak, or it's like, you know, with Johnny Carson, you know, the magician, I'm hearing the, the word from outer, outer space or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, the vision of the developer was that these two streets, one of which your client lives on, mm-hmm. that look over water were to be for empty nesters, not oh. for people who want to put up basketball goals. In other words, no kids. Uh-uh, they can't do that. No, they can't. But the other problem is they let 42 other people in the, sub, the same subdivision put up basketball goals, and you don't slice and dice a subdivision. It is governed, the whole thing, by the same rules. Uh-huh. But they want new rules, and it's, so you have a group of people imposing their will upon the majority who who they were elected to represent mm-hmm. and they are violating that that oath of trust and they are elevating themselves to a position of power to hurt people and to do away with due process yeah. and to break the rules that were signed off on by every person who bought a house there it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not the way we do things in America or Indiana. Right. And I will win this case. <laughs> and well, I will be on the front page of some newspaper. Okay, I can't wait to see you. You better wow. believe it. Wow. Because I'm good in the courtroom. Wow, I believe you. And I was going to ask, where do you see yourself a year from now? Doing the same stuff. Okay. I am blessed with... Great health. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. grandfather was born in 1869, mm-hmm. and he lived to be 104 or something wow. like that. My father lived to be 99, wow. and uh, everybody in my family is in pretty good shape. You look good. So I'm blessed mm-hmm. with a genetic composition mm-hmm. and having taken care of myself, been active uh, throughout my life physically mm-hmm. and mentally because if you mix the two they, they do you good things yeah and so i i don't see any reason why i shouldn't keep doing it yeah for sure i mean somebody maybe somebody will make me quit sometime for oh, some no. reason then don't, i'll deal with that don't but, let them don't let them make you but quit. i don't think so because i knew i knew attorneys um in la who were into their 80s Mm-hmm. And they were bright, and they were still doing it. Yeah. Not at the same scale of a big fancy office, but they had the wisdom. Mm-hmm. They knew the law. They knew what you could do with it yes. to right wrongs. And those were my heroes yeah. and hero- heroines. But unfortunately now, so much of the trial work is going into private arbitration. Mm-hmm. And mediation, and that's oh. that's a disenfranchisement. Well, I mean, we can briefly talk about it because I mentioned in earlier litigation, arbitration, and mediation. What if you can give like a snippet of each individual and when and why you would use each sure. tool or method of justice? I think justice? that um, in a case 
where, such as the basketball case, mm-hmm. that's got to go to trial. Why? Because the parties are polarized and they would never agree to what I want. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're diametrically opposed, because there's no way to make my clients happy. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll give you a pogo stick instead of a basketball <laughs> goal. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, skip it. <laughs> whereas in um, and, and mediation oftentimes is a way for a neutral person to bring the parties together by kind of schooling them a little bit about what the law is and telling them, I don't think you're going to be able to prevail in light of this particular situation the CCNRs, the rules that govern the subdivision. And so mediation is good. It might help here. I don't think so, though. Mm -hmm. So we have to always be able to walk into that courthouse and say, here's my case. Call my witnesses. Let them be cross-examined. Cross-examine the other side. And let a jury decide. Mm -hmm. Because when we get rid of that, then the people with the money can buy the best arbitrators, buy the best uh, venues, create contracts that do away with your right to a trial, mm-hmm. force you to go to arbitration, force you to be bound by it, mm-hmm. and disenfranchise you from the right to a trial by jury of your peers by saying, we can't afford that anymore. And that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen more and more. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to happen here as much as it's happening in these large business venues like New York City, Chicago, L.A., Dallas, you know, the places where the, the population and the politicians are courting mm-hmm. big business so that lots of jobs can be brought to an area which needs them. Mm-hmm. And so all they have to do is say, yeah, we'll sign off on your making a condition of employment at your company that they have to arbitrate all disputes. Mm -hmm. So in other words, to bring um, uh, Apple to San Antonio or someplace, Mm -hmm. I'll bet you anything, every one of those employment agreements has a mandatory arbitration clause Mm -hmm. so that you can't ask regular people to judge who's right. Mm-hmm. You ask paid arbitrators who are getting their business from Apple mm-hmm. and are paid well, and they have beautiful offices. I mean, I, I availed myself of arbitration in California, mm-hmm. and there is a judge drain going on a lot of the former DAs and, and you know, well-known people in the legal profession <clears throat> get chosen to be judges or they run for judges, and they work in the system, which is ugh, horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. just a mess for just a long enough time so that they have that street cred, if yes. you will. Then they go to the private arbitration companies, which are in lavish, luxurious office buildings in high-rises in the nicest part of town with hot and cold running mm-hmm. snacks and servants and 
I mean, that's, that's what's happening, mm-hmm. and it's going to continue to happen. So a decline in litigation, incline in arbitration. Correct. And mediation is just that middle It's a ground. palliative for both of those mm-hmm. types of dispute resolution. And I think it's driven by economics and municipalities who are always short of funds. Mm-hmm. They want to bring in business so, you know, the people can get jobs and, you know, feed their families, educate their children. I mean, there's a social good here. Mm-hmm. But there's also, we have this thing called the Constitution. Yes. And we're kind of like, you know, cutting out those provisions and like scotch taping them onto the I back mm-hmm. because they're not as strong and, and that makes them not as strong, but we don't want them up front and in your face because it's bad for business. I see. And I'm for business, but I mean, I don't work for business anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm in your face on the constitution. Yes. Do what's right. Follow the law yes. or pay. Yes. It's fine. It's great. It's what I went to law school for. <laughs> well, I encourage anyone who has this much passion, I mean, for anything, really, go for it. And especially if it's meant to bring change for the better. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's what I'm doing. Um, because I think every time somebody in a dispute with someone else can be you know, helped and moved out of that dispute into resolution, mm-hmm. they feel like they've, they've been treated fairly by society mm-hmm. and they feel good and they will go forward and hopefully, um, you know, be better citizens, yeah. give back to the community, who knows, but good things instead of, boy, I dodged that bullet. Yeah. Thank God I could pay that guy off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> So much. I know. I mean, it, it is. I I I get it's tired so of myself. Fun. No, this is so much fun. Any last words? Any advice, even, or um, words of encouragement? Moving to LA because I mean, LA can kind of be like this. It can be this intimidating place. I mean, LA is known for just fit, gorgeous, beautiful people and weather. Everybody's a size two, uh. <laughs> except they're not. Um, you know, I think that uh, I never planned my life. Mm-hmm. I, I navigated it once I got there, like I got on a boat and you had to figure out which harbor you could pull into periodically and where to take a longer voyage and all that stuff. But it's really hard to plan your life. But the, the thing that I never had to worry about planning was I just wanted it. I wanted to have the best experience. I wanted to be best prepared for whatever experience I was going to have. And I wanted to have fun mm-hmm. and be happy. You know, but so you do the work and you get the reward, whether it's love, whether it's money, whether it's happiness, whether it's fulfillment, whether it's, you know, fame, whatever your need is, Mm. you know, identify that, go for it. But, you know, remember that, you know, if you're a lawyer, you have to follow the law and you have been given so much. So don't take advantage of people. Mm -hmm. Do it right. 
Don't lie. Don't cheat. Take the high road Mm -hmm. because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you don't, mm, you'll pay later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You will. I'm convinced of that. So that's all I know. Well, I mean, that's, I would have to say, I will take the high road. Mm -hmm. I will remember to give back and remember how lucky I am Mm -hmm. to be in the position of creating this platform so other people can be heard Mm -hmm. and making this world a better place with the people I am connecting with. That's what you've got to do. And then at night you sleep well, Mm -hmm. you get up with a smile on your face and you go, oh, I got to do all this. And you go, yes, I got to do all this. Mm -hmm. I'm so lucky. And I'm not being a Pollyanna. I just figured that's where the energy comes from now. Mm -hmm. And that's where I want. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just, I'm very blessed. Yes. It's not a gotta. It's a, I get to. I get to. I get to do these things. And I'm very thankful yeah. every day. And I mean, it's hard to not be kind of ridiculous with your friends when they say, well, how's it going? I mean, what do you got? What kind of age you got? You want to say these things. I am so happy that I have this to do, mm-hmm. but you're not making any money. And sometimes you do stuff for free. Yeah. And I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's important. It's important, but you don't want to make other people feel less because they have an expectation and it's different and you don't want to act like you're lording over them, that you're better than them mm-hmm. because you're doing these things, which to you are important mm-hmm. and are giving back. But to them, well, maybe I'd like to do that too. See, you just speak with integrity yes. and you speak with a level of um, appreciation for what you have without pushing it in everybody's mm-hmm. face. Yeah. Because I hate people that look how good I am. Oh, gosh. Look how holy I am. Look at what a a devout and committed person my whole life has been giving and giving up and helping and never looking about taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not that way. Mm -hmm. But some people are. Mm. I don't think they have as much fun, but maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Well, I've had fun with you. Well, me, this has been wonderful. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about themselves? Aww. It's just there's so much that, you know, you, you get stored in the back of your brain. You somewhere. just got to let it out. Yeah. And that's why I created this. So thank you for connecting with me. Um, is there any way connectors can connect with you, your website? Um, yeah, my email's there. That's the best way. And it's... TheButlerLawFirm.com. I think I remember that. That is the name of the website. Um, and my email is Lori at TheButlerLawFirm. L-A-U-R-I-E. L-A-U-R-I-E at TheButlerLawFirm.com. And it has been my email for years. Mm-hmm. And I will never change it because I have too many people in different parts of the United States Yeah, that wouldn't know how to reach me. <laughs> well... Uh, connectors, and you know how to connect with me on my website, www.ampsconnected.com, or send me an email, info.ampsconnected at gmail.com, or connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at ampsconnected. 
Um, I don't know where else. Take a listen to iTunes or any other listening platform where you may listen to your podcast and just stay connected. Mm-hmm.